Welcome, FinTech Talkers, to another edition of the FinTech Talk Show, recorded at Money 2020 in Las Vegas. This is Patty, and my guest today is Jean Mies from PPRO. It's the payment pros you probably have not heard about, but should. Welcome, Jean. Thank you very much. Um, let's start with some introduction. So I, I kind of kind of joked about it that PPRO is um, not some... Uh, thing people have heard, or at least my audience, I should say. So why don't you introduce yourself, Sean, and uh, talk a little bit about PPRO as well. Wonderful. I'll do that. So um, I'm the general manager for uh, the Americas at PPRO. Joined the company around uh, almost two years ago. Um, been working in the payments industry for a long while with different companies, including Adyen in the past. And um, so... PPRO, um, like you rightfully said, is uh, we are we are a payments company that uh, probably a lot of people don't know yet. Um, and what we do is we are a provider of payments infrastructure for uh, businesses uh, such as acquirers, banks, uh, PSPs, and we provide a wide range of solutions, um, you know, spanning from digital payments or local payment methods but also uh, more and more other services like risk management services, uh, compliance, uh, even acquiring platform as a service across the globe. Uh, we have a, a platform that integrates all solutions seamlessly and uh, orchestrates uh, those solutions to big companies. Great, it's great. And, and we're at Money 2020, so we should kind of talk a little bit about that. And I know, Jean, you're, you're focused, you're, you're in Brazil. You're probably so one of the first persons that I've interviewed from Brazil. So um, it's great to talk. Um, uh, but talk a little bit about how Money 2020 has been. And also, there's a lot of focus, at least I saw some focus. There was, I think, a track on LATAM FinTech and LATAM payments. Um, so talk a little bit about that as to why that is important now. Of course. Um, as a matter of fact, yes, uh, Latin America is a, an extremely interesting dynamic market. Uh, on on Sunday, on the first day of the Money 2020, I was on stage talking about uh, payments trends and industry trends. And um, why is it interesting? Uh, because simply the growth dynamic in Latin America is, uh, is huge, right? It's one of the fastest growing e-commerce markets around the globe. Um, a lot of things have happened in the the recent years in terms of financial inclusion. So, uh, you know, both from a regulatory perspective, but also from a technical solution perspective, especially during the pandemic, as you can imagine, a lot of people have started buying online, people who have never used or consumed on the uh, internet before. Um, and, and this is now a consistent trend, right? So now... Um, across Latin America, uh, a large portion of the population has access to financial services. So with digital bank accounts, electronic payment methods. And uh, and this is why over the entire region, you know, e-commerce has been growing double digits up to 70% in some, some markets year over year, right? And um, this um, not only brings a lot of opportunities for companies, uh, for global companies that want to expand their customer base across different regions. So Latin America is one of the biggest consumer markets as a consolidated region uh, in the world, um, but also uh, brings a lot of complexities. And this is what I spoke about uh, on Sunday. So 
telling a little bit about what do you have to expect when you want to do business in Latin America? So <laughs> you need to know your way around. So let's peel that onion a little bit. So Latin America is a block. Obviously, there are several countries. So let's kind of define which countries are we talking entire um, from all the way to Mexico, all the way to Argentina, or is a subset of that? And it, regulatorily, are they similar, different, very different? And and as a payment provider, as a payment uh, provider to financial institutions or acquirers, um, what are some of the complexities that you have to be aware of? So if you uh, think about Latin America, there are a few markets that are really dominant in terms of uh, consumer power and e-commerce uh, uh, importance. Uh, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia are the biggest markets there. Um, Brazil is by far the largest market. So an estimated $40 billion of e-commerce volume last year, uh, a year-over-year -year growth of around 30%. Uh, like I said, e-commerce becoming more and more important. So uh, to give an idea, um, only three years ago, e-commerce represented around 5% of total retail sales. This has more than doubled to 12% these days. It's still relatively small, but if you look at the growth dynamic, it's really impressive over such a you know small period of time. Um, Mexico is on a similar streak, so it's really growing very, very fast. Um, and um, the interesting thing about those uh, two markets specifically is that um, overall uh, banking penetration, card penetration is still comparatively low, uh, right? If you put it in a global context. But if you uh, look at e-commerce only, how people consume things on, uh, you know, online, um, most of the consumption there is doing is is being done with credit cards, right? And um, um, and and this, of course, is also favored by the fact that more and more people are now using electronic payment methods. Around sixty five percent of all consumers in a market like Brazil, the biggest market, have used or have made or received an electronic payment in the last year, which is unheard of before. Um, but at the same time, uh, the big complexity in those markets, not only Brazil, Mexico, but also the other markets, Argentina, Colombia, and so on, is that there are big differences in terms of consumer preference, how people like to pay for their items online. So, um, you know, uh, how, how, you know, the payment patterns per se, for instance, uh, paying um, in installments is very, very popular. Uh, in Latin America. So people buy an item uh, and then they pay it over 12 months, right? So if you will, uh, in, in Latin America, this whole buy now, pay later mode was, was invented uh, <laughs> more than 10 years ago, right? So it's really, really very interesting. Fascinating, yeah. So innovators, but maybe then market or brand it like folks here did and BNPL became kind of such a big thing especially that Square Afterpay uh, merger last year. I think that was one of the big ones. But obviously, there are other firms like Affirm and all are doing well. But interesting. So um, uh, you talked about e-commerce as the one big use case. But when I look at other payment providers, there's obviously a bunch of other use cases. And they make cross-border e-commerce too. I don't know whether that's in kind of scope or is that kind of a growth area. 
Um, but remittances is another thing, collections, and also the big kahuna is sometimes B2B payments, uh, which banks do, um, and, and kind of providing alternative rails or alternative ways to do. Um, so does PPRO kind of cover all that or is e-commerce kind of the main use case? E-commerce is definitely the main use case for, for PPRO in, in Latin America and also elsewhere around the world. But um, cross-border, as, as you mentioned, is extremely important, right? Um, this is one of our big uh, revenue streams uh, globally and especially in Latin America for the reasons that I mentioned before. So Latin America as a region is growing extremely fast and more and more you see consumers in Latin America buying online even outside of, of the Latin American borders, right? And this is why you see more and more international uh, e-commerce powerhouses expanding into Latin America. So starting with all the, you know, the big American companies like Amazon that established operations in Latin America, Brazil and Mexico a few years ago, uh, but also all the, the Asian powerhouses like AliExpress, Shopee and all the others. Um, that nowadays have some of their biggest consumer bases in, in Latin America. So cross-border e-commerce is, is extremely important um, and still growing at, um, at higher rates uh, than traditional you know, local e-commerce. Um, if you look at the growth rates of a company like Amazon, for instance, you will see that their growth rate uh, within their national borders if, is you know, around about 40% year over year. Outside of, of the U.S., they're growing 60%. So they, they're being challenged in their home turf, and they need to expand more and more, you know, to continue growing consist consistently like that. And uh, like I said, Latin America is, is, a, is a very important region for those kind of companies. Right. So going back to the point around localization, you talk about customer preferences are, are different across the countries, um, obviously payment rails and kind of individual and maybe some regulatory aspects and we want to get to regulatory maybe next um, round or, or talk to you about that but in terms of preferences how, how do you solve for that um, um, kind of as as a technology stack it requires a lot of customization or that that seems like your mode right you kind of localize it um, for for the banks for the consumers so but how do you do that yeah, I think that you touched on a very important point. I think that the essential um, thing, let's put it that way, uh, for you to be successful as a company in Latin America is that you need to understand the local specificities of the market, the local preferences. And it's extremely difficult even for large uh, global enterprises to do that without the help of a company that deeply understands this, those those specific complexities, right? And this is the way how we solve for that is that we um, have over time set up uh, teams across the globe that bring in this local expertise and knowledge. Um, and then we, of course, connect uh, in each of the market with the most relevant payment methods, with the providers there that that, that really make a difference in terms of share, share of wallet and and consumer preferences. And then um, as a technology company, as a fintech um, we also focus on efficiency. So it's not only about connecting with certain payment methods or solutions, it's about optimizing and obtaining the best results, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at payments specifically, you will always look at 
you know, conversion rates, authorization rates, um, fraud rates, you want to keep them low, etc. And and this is what we do for, for global enterprises. So we really um, solve the complexities of the different markets. Uh, so we translate them so that global enterprises understand what is it, what they need to focus on, what they need to offer. And then we we optimize it using technology and and local resources, right? Um, you mentioned a regulation. Um, so, from a regulatory perspective, um, a lot has changed over the years uh, across the Latin American region. So, in the past, uh, all countries in Latin America they used to be very heavily concentrated from a banking perspective. Only a few banks dominating you know, in the entire markets, basically. And um, um, around 10 years ago, and that's that's quite a long time already, um, some of the central banks across the region, mainly in Brazil and Mexico, have started, you know, moving against this huge concentration that existed. So really breaking up the market um, and creating a scenario from a regulatory perspective that incentivizes the entrance of new players, right? This uh, came together with, um, you know, the appearance of fintechs, companies that were challenging the large banks and saying, hey, we can do this better. We can be closer to what the customer expects because we have technology, right? And, um, and since then, um, a lot really has changed. So the whole uh, payments industry has um, evolved incredibly. So nowadays, um, some of the Latin American markets are among the most innovative payment markets uh, in the world. And I'll give you an example. Um, one trend that we have seen uh, emerging uh, since a couple of years now is the um, the emergence of, of instant payment methods. And you may have heard about that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> There's a payment method in Brazil called PIX, um, PIX was launched in November 2020. Um, it's a 24 by 7, 365 instant payment method, maybe sim similar to what you uh, experience when you use Venmo, right? So you just make a transfer, it gets to the account of the other person instantly. But um, the big advantage is that um, not only is, is a payment method like PIX completely bank agnostic so you don't have to have an account at a specific bank you don't even need a bank account you can use it with any wallet that is integrated with the pick system um and it's free of cost so imagine in a in a 230 million uh, people country like brazil where there's a lot of difference in terms of income right mm -hmm. so if people have easy access to that kind of technology at low cost, it becomes an instant success. And this is what has happened in Brazil in the last not even two years uh, in terms of adoption of this payment method. Nowadays, more than 130 million Brazilians are using PIX on a day-to-day -day basis to uh, you know, pay for, for their, their items online or even in-store. Um, and uh, today, almost 1 trillion Brazilian reais, so that's around about 200 billion US dollars, are being processed every month. And this is still growing extremely. So, um, and why am I, say, am, am I saying that this is uh, super innovative? But because the, the PIX model and the technology 
is being uh, used now more and more in other countries, not only across the region, but also in other regions because of its of its huge success, right? Because it's, um, like I said, it's completely agnostic, bank agnostic, it's interoperable. Um, so it's, it's a huge case of success. Right. So uh, on the pick, so you said you don't need a bank account. I like that financial inclusion piece of things because that's a big deal. I mean, even the US, definitely in Asia, but I'm sure in South America or Latin America as well. Um, so the acceptance of that PIX wallet without an account, it, it, it has critical mass. Many merchants and other people and e-commerce, they'll accept um, that as wide, wide, widely accepted. Absolutely. So <clears throat> PIX started as a peer-to-peer -peer payment method, but now more and more it's being adopted by, uh, by merchants as well, right? Because, um, yeah, like I said, it's convenient to use. It's uh, easy, ac uh, accessible very easily. Uh, it's free of cost for the consumer, right? And even for the merchant, it is cheaper uh, than, you know, using a card, right? The, the fees that you pay as a merchant are much lower, right? And this is a formula for success, for sure. Um, now, the expectation is that it will continue growing and, and also uh, that additional functionality will be available. Like I said, um, in, in Latin America, it's very common to pay in installments, right? Uh, but so far, it is only possible to, to pay in installments if you're using your card. Now, uh, the PIX technology will also uh, be expanded and launched by the central bank to accommodate for that. So you'll be able to pay for your, you know, purchases or services using PIX and then pay in months, mm -hmm. which is great, which is, um, uh, you know, hits the nerve of what is really important in, in a region like Latin America. Oh, that's great. I, I should check it out. I am familiar with some things like this, like uh, I think UPI in India is similar. They have biometric payments and things like that and very um, economic. So it's kind of very democratic kind of the, the street merchants can use it without having a lot of pay, a lot of interchange and all. So fascinating that it's it's picking up or that mode's picking up. It's not good news for some of the associations and stuff, but that <laughs> it is it is the way it is. Um, so. Like you touched on the regulatory aspect a little bit, the customer preference or the localization aspect. If I kind of ask you what keeps you up at night or, or where do you spend the most time? So I'm going to mention uh, one aspect, risk or fraud management. Um, in any situation where you see almost exponential growth of e-commerce, um, which of course uh, brings a lot of opportunities, you also see a lot of challenges, right? Because um, you know, financial inclusion in Latin America is relatively recent. Um, people are not as experienced in using electronic payment method or buying online. And um, uh, of course, fraudsters know that and they take advantage of that. And this is why Latin America now uh, these days is, is um, uh, the region that has the most fraud incidents globally in e-commerce, right? So every fifth transaction, so 20% of all transactions in Latin America are fraudulent. Um, and this rate has been growing year over year. So 23% 23, 23 growth uh, over, over the years in fraud-related incidents. Um, now, what does that mean uh, for any company that is, you know, targeting Latin America as a, as a market? Well, 
you need to know how to mitigate your 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 fraud risk, your financial risk in those markets, right? And um, and there are many ways uh, how you can do that. Uh, and what we always advise is, well, uh, first of all, use the benefits of technology and data to your advantage, right? So that means um, focus on using uh, tools, fraud mitigation, fraud management tools that uh, are efficient in the region, right? Um, because like we dis discussed uh, previously, the you know, payment patterns are pretty specific in the region. So the more you are adapted in terms of fraud prevention, the better. Um, and combine the technology aspects like the risk management, like um, authentication uh, of transactions via, you know, authentic authentication protocols or biometric or two-factor authentication. And the more you can combine those with data points that um, that add information about the consumers, like ID checks, credit checks, the more you will be able to control your risk exposure and mitigate the risk of suffering fraud, right? Um, at the same time, what is uh, maybe also very specific for the Latin American region um, is the fact that you need to work very, very closely with the local banks. So you need to have a constant dialogue to understand transaction flows, to understand fraud uh, fraud patterns, and to be able to send cleaner transactions over to the banks. And the more you do that, the more you clean up your transactions, the higher you, you know the better your results will be at the end of the day. And then the last item that I want to highlight is the fact that, since you have so many different flavors in, from a payments perspective, e-commerce payment perspective, uh, you need to use this as a, uh, to your advantage as well. So the more you expand your payments mix by using, you know, payment methods that are sometimes more pr uh, prone to fraud and others that are less prone to fraud. For instance, instant payment methods, they're relatively secure. They have uh, lower fraud incidents than cards, for instance. And the more you use this mix of payment methods, the more you will be able to balance your risk as well, risk exposure, and to get the best results uh, in, in such a big market. Um, very cool and and risk no no wonder man I didn't know the numbers were pretty staggering um, that there's so many frauds but uh, I think that's common across markets um, kind of segueing from uh, that into crypto and metaverse and Web three and uh, CBDCs and stable coins and it's got a lot of flavors right but kind of clubbing them all together um, obviously there's they come with their own risk but they come with their own kind of benefits as well. Uh, we're in sort of a crypto winter now, but are you doing anything in crypto and Web3 and Metaverse? We do up to a certain point. So um, when when we develop solutions as a fintech, we always hear uh, what our customers expect from us in terms of demand. What are the demands that they want to satisfy? You know, And, um, and these days we see that... Um, Crypto uh, uh, processing, crypto payments are a nascent trend, right? So we do, of course, um, have not only from a client perspective, companies that that offer cryptocurrency. So we help those companies to a, 
to um, to allow customers to buy cryptocurrency using traditional payment methods, alternative mm -hmm. payment methods, card, etc., and so forth. Um, at the same time, we also um, you know help companies to uh, to offer cryptocurrencies to buy assets or to buy goods and services, right? Mm -hmm. And this um, is is still, like I said, very early stage, very nascent. So the the use case. Um, to use cryptocurrency in day-to-day -day transaction is not quite there yet. We're moving in that direction, also with Web3 becoming more and more of a topic, but we're not quite there yet. So from that perspective, we always say, let's listen what the what our consumers, our, our customers, merchants are asking for, and then we'll focus on it. But it will happen, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, we, we've covered, we have some guests, especially on the metaverse, and maybe I'll, I'll ask you a question on that too. Um, so the, the kind of projection is that e-commerce is going to go, and they call it digital commerce and things like that, physical and digital, so to speak. So the experience of buying a good, um, especially consumer goods, could, could potentially change. And yeah, there's the fulfillment and all the payment component of it. And so basically e-commerce moving to the metaverse. Um, any any thoughts on that? Um, and, and how prevalent is that um, in, in Latin America? Um, I know predominantly it's not like people are buying shoes or clothes in the metaverse just yet. I, mean, I think Nike and all want to have people do that and have a different experience. But it's predominantly gaming, right? There's a lot of in game purchase and things like that. Do you touch on that or do you serve that market as well? I have to say from a personal perspective, this is a topic that really intrigues me. I'm the father of a 16-year-old boy and you can't imagine how much time he spends in front of his computer gaming, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm deeply intrigued by that. Uh, and of course, I follow closely you know, the trends that I see happening there. Um, now, from a professional perspective, um, to answer your question, right now, it's too early. We see first signs of this becoming a big thing. And uh, like you said, uh, you know, large brands uh, spending time thinking about how can we capitalize on the metaverse and how can we use this, um, right, to be closer to, to the younger generation. Um, but uh, also here, it's it's very nascent. And from our perspective, um, it's it's not something big yet. But of course, we consider ourselves to be innovative, and we uh, we we are you know whole, you know <laughs> keeping our antennas uh, sharp uh, to see what's what's going to happen in this market. And if the demand is there, we will surely uh, you know satisfy the demand that is that is growing. Yeah, no, it is. It is an area to be watched. Um, there's obviously a lot of players um, uh, doing it, and but given the macroeconomic situations, things are a little bit slow, but definitely an area to be watched. Um, so, th thank you so much, John. But to just kind of start wrapping up, um, fintech talk. The audience we have a global audience. We started with kind of more uh, U.S. North American audience. But recently, I think I was seeing some ranking where like 12th in Singapore and, and UAE and India. So we have a like global audience. Hopefully with you, we'll have a lot of uh, South American audience as well. And we're on Apple and Spotify and things. Um, 
what do you want to say to that global audience, especially people who are looking to partner with you, potential customers? I know your customers are kind of more banks and others, but um, if there are people listening and they want to reach out to you personally or partner with PPRO, uh, PPRO, um, what what what's your message for them? I think the main message here is um, um, maybe repeating a little bit what I said before. So the trend that we're seeing is that e-commerce is becoming more and more global. Of course, this is not a new thing, right? We've seen that evolving over time, but it's picking up in speed. And that has to do with the fact that um, some markets are more saturated, are more mature, um, and other markets are way less. If you look into Latin America, if you look at the Asia-Pacific region with India and so on, there's many opportunities there for global enterprises to grow and to expand their customer base and so on. Um, so uh, my recommendation is definitely be mindful of the uh, specific customer patterns, behaviors, preferences across the different regions. Um, and be open to expanding. So we help many companies uh, to expand into regions where they don't necessarily have uh, local legal entities, where they want to test out the market, see the consumers, understand if it makes sense to set up shop right before they actually do so. And um, and and this is what I what I recommend. So so if if you're a company uh, interested in expanding. Uh, let's have a chat. Let's talk to us. We will definitely be able to support you with that. Um, but be mindful that it's, um, you know, payments have many different flavors in Latin America. We have many, many flavors. <laughs> so just be mindful of that and and rely on the expertise of, of you know, specialized companies. Yeah. So how can how can people get in touch with you? Like you want to leave your LinkedIn, Twitter, or what, what's your favorite um, place that you are in? Yes, absolutely. I can um, definitely uh, uh, share my LinkedIn. Um, it's uh, it's at Jean Mies. Uh, uh, you'll be able to find me there. Uh, or you can also contact me by email. Uh, it's first name, last name, uh, jean.mies at ppro.com. Pretty easy. So send me an email if I can help you. So that's J-E-A-N dot M-E-I-S. Yeah, and on LinkedIn. So thank you. Thank you, Jean. Um, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for coming on the FinTech Talk Show and sharing your perspective about this big Latin American uh, FinTech and payments market. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.